Okay, so uh, so just do like a Nokomoto intro sort of. So, okay, welcome everybody. This is the Nokomoto podcast episode 102, except it's also creative writing episode whatever. What is it, guys? It's not important. Yes, it's not important. Yeah, 222 times two. It's not important. Okay. You can edit that out. So I'm your host, MotoGP. With me is your other host, Swiggy. Yo. And your other host, Junkie Turdman. Hey, hey, hey. And uh, always with him, his sidekick, Wiggins. What up? Of the, Wiggins the, Wednesday f- fame. Yeah, the Harry Hoosier Yeah, what do you himself? think of that? How's that working with the Harry Hoosier? I like that. I was once called the Pride of Indiana, too. But yeah, that's not saying a lot. I mean, it's yeah, Indiana. that sounds like I feel like last week's w- Wiggins Wednesday was the best one ever. Which one was that? The drugs? Yeah, he was on drugs. drugs last or is that no. today? Is that I mean, you know, sorry, current. Yeah, I need to put Wiggins Wednesday out. I'm going to do that right now while we're talking. You should. It's I mean, it's Friday, obviously, but it's Wednesday. <laughs> right. Well, the yeah. last one that aired was the best ever. Well, the, this one's definitely better. Or dropped, I should say. Anyway. I don't even remember what it covered. So, so now that we've confused the audience, mm-hmm. there's a, we'll explain. There's a, there's two podcasts that, well, there's, a, I guess, Wiggins technically has, if you really want to get down to it, the third show on the Moto One Podcast Network. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. I'm, I'm kind of proud of that now. I, I, th- I think we should think of it that way. I, I kind of agree. I like that. Yeah, it makes sense. It was meant to be like a teaser for creative writing. And I I listened to this. Well, I, I don't listen very often, but I have this podcast I listen to sometimes. And he does like these truck talk Tuesdays. And I was like, that's kind of a cool idea. Like just something super short. And I end up listening to those more than I listen to his actual show. <laughs> so if our creative writing listenership goes down. But Wiggins Wednesday keeps going up. We'll know why. I mean, it's got a specific drop time. It's got a unique and limited format. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it qualifies as a different show if we wanted to. Yeah. And I, it's a cool, like, the concept I like. It's something that's just like a different day and a super short time and straight into the point. And uh, it's not straight into any point. It rambles all over the place. <laughs> yeah, but only for about 15 minutes. That's true. So far, I need to set an alarm. I'm scared I'm going to go longer. But uh, by straight into the point, it is it is rather terse. Let's yeah. put it that way. So, oh, the one I think the one that dropped that you're talking about was uh, the questions. Someone emailed some questions. Yeah. And by the way, to listeners of both shows, if you have any questions and you would like them discussed on Wiggins Wednesday, Email askwigs, that's W-I-G-G-Z, at gmail.com. And uh, it and could be an entire Wiggins Wednesday show if you ask enough questions. And if you don't like something Wiggins says and you're really pissed off, email contact at nokomoto.com. <laughs> you could still email <laughs> askwigs at nokomotopodcast.com. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, I already screwed up. Okay. So now that we've had the sloppiest intro in the history of the show, <laughs> what we need to do <laughs> is get into... Um, the segment everyone's always waiting for every week, a uh, little every week. Best worst bike in the world this week. What do you say? Absolutely. Uh, let's do it. Hey, can we throw a little? Okay. Can we throw a little spin on it this week? Since we're doing a combo show on cre- yeah. on creative writing, we usually do word of the week, and uh, we haven't done that yet on oh. this week's show. Can we do that on? Can we do that on this crossover? Yeah, I, I why have, not? I have the word can right here. Every time we say the word, we're going to double tap a kitten. 
Wiggins, yeah. Wiggins and I have. The Give th- me a minute. I gotta pull a word out of <laughs> out, out, out of Turdman's can. Yeah, here you pull the word out of the can, and then uh, yeah, we have this basket of kittens that was donated to us a couple weeks ago, and every time we say the word, <laughs> we have to execute one of the kittens. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. We're not even worse. We could just make you keep one of the kittens. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to. That's just the rules of the game. Yeah. <laughs> so the word th- of the week is flat. OK, flat. And it goes official when the bike bell rings. And what I like about this, it can be in so many things like a seat could be too flat. That's true. Or your handlebars could be too flat. Yeah, they could not be flat enough. Your head could be too flat. But don't say it anymore because the word of the week is becoming official for both podcasts. This is like a record. I feel like we needed to have like some triumphant music on this point. But uh, right now the word but is we official. we don't have any. We don't have any. Right now the word's official. Don't say the word that rhymes with fat. I've got an extra good rule here. What if, if uh, whoever says it, if anyone says it, they have to... Uh, Mail the other show some extra SD cards and XLR cables. <laughs> all right, all right. That doesn't matter. We're going to edit all this out anyway. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> None of this we, is usable. We always okay. say that, and so. then we leave it in. <laughs> None of this is usable. So. Go listen to something else, everyone. Okay, so everybody, we are now going to do everyone's favorite segment, Best Worst Bike in the World this week. The segment where we each, me and Swiggy, pick a different motorcycle each to be the best and worst bike in the world. We don't know what each other have chosen. It's always a surprise. Now, sometimes people feel upset about the choices sometimes people love them so much we have now a fan site nocobikelist.com <laughs> where slowly the bikes are getting compiled by a very very loyal listener but some people can't handle that instead they fly off the handle doesn't happen very often but sometimes they do in which case we remind you to stay calm and just send emails to contact at nokomotopodcast.com but if you can't remember that just remember uh you know i didn't come up with one this week fuck it let's just fly without one well listen there's if you if you go get those protein pancakes that are made by um waffle king and sons uh, on the very bottom, it'll tell you they're gluten-free, but you know, no protein pancake actually technically has gluten in it. But that's not important because you start reading down the list of like all the healthy stuff that's in it for you. And once you get to the very bottom, it'll tell you that there's palm oil. And if you know palm oil is destroying Earth slower than, you know, Aunt Grandma, ah, this is terrible. But anyway, at the very bottom, in the little tiny asterisk, it'll say, there's no crying in motorcycles. Excellent. Thank you for the assist, John. That'll do. That'll do, Pig. That'll so, do. <laughs> Swiggy, you have best bike in the world this week. I do. All right. Are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay. And so the best bike in the world this week is the Kawasaki Concourse. Ooh, new, old, any specific year? Uh, whichever year started having the Kawasaki traction control and ABS. Okay. So that's very good that you said that because the original Kawasaki Concourse 1000 was already a best bike in the world. Wow. So if you're going with the later generation. Oh, no, yeah. This is the 1400. 
Okay, the fourteen hundred. Yeah, because the one thousand has already been. So the fourteen hundred. Excellent. So we recently discussed what an amazing fucking value this bike is. Yes. yes. Now there's a few. Th- uh, say what? Yeah, I said yes. Oh yeah, yeah this bike's good. okay. Nice. You can edit uh, that so, out. <laughs> so this bike is it does two things really well. One is it's a bulletproof touring bike, and the second is that it's totally future proof. In that there is no, there's never going to be any point at which you cannot service this bike and keep it going. Because there are a lot of really, really fancy hyper tours. You know, you can have a Multistrada, you can go with a Goldwing, you can go with a Star Venture, if you're into <laughs> that sort of thing. But this is the bike that will essentially just. No matter where you go, parts will be available for this. And they will always be available with this. Because, although it's a big, heavy tourer, there is nothing exotic on this bike whatsoever. Yeah, the most complicated it gets is the traction control and heated grips. Yeah, this this is like the Mormon transporter... Like it's, it's nothing fancy about it, but it's heavy duty and it gets the job done. It, so just some numbers on this, this bike, it's a 350, 1357, uh, CC motor in line four, 155 horsepower, a hundred foot pounds of torque. It's shaft drive. It comes with a shit ton of storage stock. Um, it's got an electric windshield, ABS, traction control. It's got a six-gallon fuel tank. And on top of that, it has possibly the best wind protection of any tourer ever with the sport shape and how wide the fairings go. And this bike today costs less than something like a Moto Guzzi Nord or an equivalent 1100 GS from 20 years ago, even without taking inflation into account. This bike is $15,500 today. I thought it was $13,500. Oh, $15,000. Okay. Still, for everything that's present here, it's nothing. Yeah. I don't know if I'd compare it to a Goldwing a lot, although I haven't rode one and would like to, but a Goldwing's what, 24, 25 base, if you're lucky? Base is about 23, 600, I think. You can go from like 23 to 35,000. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, so, I mean, in a way, because of that, they're not even comparable, and I mean, and... You know, like for me, when I think of the concourse, I think like ZX14, which is one of the rad things. I'm pretty sure it shares a lot of parts with, especially motor-wise, with that ZX14. And it's yeah. like, it's kind of a detuned motor of that. So, you know, that it's bulletproof for that. I mean. 
but it's still like 160 horsepower mm-hmm. and un- and 100 foot pounds of torque, I believe. Yeah. And it's and because it's detuned, the motors just last forever. These now, there is a, there's a small style miles. There is a small caveat to that: is that it's not going to feel like a hundred a hundred foot pounds of torque on, say, a BMW GS because it's the inline four. It's got the two ninety degree joints, so there is some significant loss to the rear wheel. So it's going to feel more like 80 compared to uh, a Boxer or a Transverse V-Twin, but it's still impressive. And the thing is, though, four little cylinders make more horsepower than two big cylinders, too. I mean, but and I know what you're saying, because, you know, you got four smaller cylinders. It's not going to feel as torquey, but a lot of that has to do with the transmission on it. You know, and no, I, I just mean um, the mechanical loss of going from an inline uh, yeah, four where yeah. the final drive has to do two 90 degree turns instead of one. Yeah, that's true. You are going to lose a little bit there, but I don't know. It's and such also, a solid base, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and usually four cylinders don't have the torque of a of a twin or, you know, if you're basing it on well, that. any um any torque number you ever read on a spec sheet. More often than not, it's the torque at the crank. Yeah. And that's where it gets a little bit misleading with inline fours because with an inline four, you've got the two 90-degree transitions, which rob it of a lot of power. I don't know why I'm shit-talking my own best bike. (laughs) It still makes makes excessive power is the point. It basically makes uh, first-year Hayabusa power is basically what it makes. Yeah. Right. Um, I did want to point out too that it's got for for the same price as like an MT10 probably. It's got like the Kawasaki like cornering ABS. I think it ha- I think it's like one of the only tours right now that has cornering lights. I think it has like when you start to lean over, I think the uh it's got that corner lighting where it illuminates the turn. Um, and the only other one that has that is the BMW K1600, but it's via a friggin' actuated headlight that's like adaptive headlight package, you know, where, and it actually moves on servos where this is just like, I think there's like a separate corner light that lights up uh, the turn. So the concourse does not do the cornering lights, mm. but the but what it does have is the old school, old tech approach to the problem, which is massive headlights. Okay. The spike is gigantic and the headlights are ridiculous. Yeah. The head. So basically what it has is two car headlights in the front and the, 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 the the way the reflections work in them, it's, it's like a car. So it really does spread a wide beam. So it doesn't do the, the fancy cornering lights, but it does. You, you see around the corners on this, Trust me. Right. And the price, like, I did you guys mention the price too? I mean, it's 16,000 bucks. It's less than a CBR um, 1000, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, you get. Yeah, yeah it's, it's less, less than, than a super bike. bike. Yeah. Yeah. And you get like the craziest of all, you know, the best of all worlds. Oh, yeah. The dual throttle valves and um, the tire pressure sensors. Like, it's got like all the whammy bammy stuff. Oh, yeah. The tire pressure sensors are pretty sweet. And it does come with um, heated grips as well. But what I also like about this bike is that of all of the big four and all the big tours and everything, 
There are no mysteries on this bike. There is no fancy software besides what's contained in the ABS and the traction control chips that can that work on those features. It's got, you know, a basic LCD display for your trip meter and stuff. It's still got analog gauges. This bike will last into the apocalypse. <laughs> this bike will never be uh, bricked because you've got a electronic display that's not supported anymore. You're never going to have a weird part that goes out of stock until like 20 or 30 years because it's still got the ZX-14 motor in it. Yeah, This bike is super future-proof. You can work on it yourself. It's going to last forever. Yeah, and don't quote me on this, but I think that it's had uh, almost all the same exact body components for about 12 years. So if you crash one of these, you're not going to be scouring the earth for like a two-year model, you know, body a rear body panel or like a pannier or something like that this the body style on this thing goes back i'm pretty sure about 12 years um with some of the part numbers even repeating over the course of that time you know like some of the colors uh repeating and being still uh, available a few years after it was first introduced so yeah this thing really is kind of future proof it's gonna be you think you think this is i mean it's changed a couple times but for the most part it's changed but this this iteration i know for sure has had its fair share of um recurring part numbers let's just put it that way um you think it's gonna be like the klr where it's just one of those bikes that changes about three times in about 30 years and and just uh ends up being what most people are going to be riding through the, the waste. Like when, when the world becomes just burning man, <laughs> is this what's going to, people are going to be cruising these and like PC 800s. Well, Kawasaki's had a bike called the concourse for about 30 years. It's already that way. I mean, the main thing is that there's nothing here that's ever going to stop you from putting this bike back together. Other than like a lack of frames when it's 20 years out of production. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yep. I like it. Or your pocketbook when you okay. can't afford buy 25 of them. You can edit but that it's out. cheap. <laughs> All right. Are we ready to move to worst bike? Let's do it. Okay. So the worst bike in the world this week is, I don't know exactly how to pronounce this. It's either Barigo or Barigo. It's Anixa. Spam a la. <laughs> so we, are, we already did best bike in next week <laughs> what are we talking about here it sounds like a ripoff of the energica <laughs> you, <laughs> go, you, go. you really need to find a picture so b-a-r-i-g-o anixa o-n-i-x-a this is, I've this talked is, about unfortunately styled bikes before. This really, really, <laughs> this is like special to the table in the ugly department. <laughs> this is like a ripoff Mr. Game and Watch. But <laughs> <laughs> who makes this? Barigo, or did make it, or tried to make it. It's what? a complicated story. Have you found it yet? O-N-I-X-A, the Anixa 600. Yeah, yeah, we got it. Okay. I like the fake RAM intakes. Oh, it's real. Oh, is it? 
oh yeah, you're not seeing enough angles it's of like, picture here. I also feel like under that bodywork is this shitty steel frame and a XR50 motor. <laughs> well, it's funny because it, it looks so, like it looks like a ripoff of the Kawasaki that you guys talked about best bike last week with the Ram Air. You know what I'm no. talking about? Yeah, come on. Uh, yeah, I know. That was a Honda NR. No. Oh, no. no. Yeah, okay, the Kawasaki so. ZX6 had that too? Or what the, the hell? The ZX7 had it also. Okay, ZX7. Yeah. So this doesn't. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So let's, so let's see what we're talking about. What we're essentially talking about is a sport motorcycle with a 600cc <laughs> single dirt bike motor in it. Oh, you mean KTM? Oh, and you mean an RSD Super Saiyan? No. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, okay. So, um, only probably cheaper than 15 or 20 grand. So, when you look at the Burigo Anixa, the first question you ask is just why? And as you learn more about it, you just keep asking the question, why? Let's start with the name. So it was made by a French dude whose name is Barico, as you might suspect. Except... Wait, are you going to tell me this is like a Honda or a... Uh, <laughs> a, a it sounds like an XR650. An MV Agusta. Well, it's definitely trying to rip off the NR. So... The guys, the guy that made this, like I said, his name is Barigo, but it's not spelled oh B A R I G O. His name is Barigo, and he's French. It's spelled B A R I G A U L T. But decided he needed a more marketable name, so he anglicized the spelling of his name for the bikes he was making. So he was sort of a dirt bike rider in the 70s, and he built a couple little like one-off things based on some some Batalcos and and Hondas. And he kind of... Is it Batalco? Yeah. I've always said Batalco. And I'm not going to stop. Who knows? Anyway, so he kind of got into the Supermoto thing in the mid eighties when it was a f- its first like iteration. Right. So super motos really came about from ABC's the wild world of sports. And it was called super bikes or super bikers. And they would do these races that were half asphalt, half dirt bike. So yeah. they would take dirt bikes and just fit super, uh, super sport wheels to them and stiffen the suspension. And I they, think the yeah. idea was to be like the IROC of motorcycles. Yeah, because it was yeah, that's flat tracker, really road racers, crossers. Yeah, they weren't all on spec, you know, matching bikes like the IROC stuff. But the point was to bring all the riders from different disciplines together and have them race. Well, I should say that would be a really great way to describe it if most of our listeners knew what IROC was. <laughs> they most of them just think it's also a special true. Camaro. It's like motorcycle MMA. It's like the International, no, no, no. Ranch was of International Race of Champions. Uh-huh. Right, is a car thing. No, I'm talking about the whole interdisciplinary thing. Oh, right. Yeah. Anyway, so there we go was making these really good supermotors back in the mid eighties when it was when it was like a really new thing. And he made some custom ones and whatever. And so there was some mild success with 
a 600 single supermoto with a Rotax 600 in it that he made the frame for and everything. And they had some dealers and everything. And there we go. Well, fast forward to the mid 90s, and there was a super fetishist racing league, which we've talked about before when we talked about the Ducati Supermoto, right? And they were racing 500 to 600, whatever. Single sport, single cylinder sport bikes, mm-hmm. right? So kind of imagine Moto Three, but twice the displacement, but still just single cylinder bikes, right? Really fetishy. So, Barrigo thought, "What if I take this supermoto and make it into a sports bike?" Well, that's exactly what he did. Except you'd think he'd create a new frame, no. Oh, so this is a sport bike with fairings that has it's a just, frame? It's just the supermoto underneath. It just has this super uncomfortable-looking sport bodywork around it. Oh, no. So the forks are a little different, and it's got the clip-ons. But the reason it yeah. looks so dumb, if you look at the frame, it's the supermoto frame. Hence why the gas tank is in this really, really tall stupid position and of course if you know anything about dirt bikes they don't have particularly large gas tanks so another reason this tank has such a stupid shape is this was the only place left to add more volume to the gas tank the only way to go was up hang on hang on a minute wait if this if this is essentially a dirt bike underneath then if those if those intakes are real, if those ram intakes are real, which they are, so what you're telling me is that over, they don't work very well. See how it goes outside function. of the frame. Oh. Wait, so you're saying that they go? Wait, do they go through the top section or do they yeah. go? Wait, so they go in through the front fairing, over the handlebars, through the tank, down under the seat, into the airbox. Hey, that's just how the yes. Kawasaki makes <laughs> the air makes this long travel where it actually has to turn around as well. Yeah, so Ka- Kawasaki's did they're that going too. Though. With the, so this is the Ram intake silly straw technique, essentially. <laughs> yeah, because it looks more like an ATK. That's why the gas tank sucks on that one. I was thinking more like modern dirt bike, but it's not. I mean, obviously not, but it's not. That's why. The I mean, this there. would be. This would be really great if it was like on an SR seventy one Blackbird, where you're moving at Mach three and you need to intentionally slow the air intake down. I'm not convinced. This bike also one of my favorite things about it because it just gets weirder and weirder has a very Buell ZTL six pot caliber knockoff front brake. Yeah, I can see that there. (laughs) You know what this bike is? There's two things this bike is. It's the Amazonas of sport bikes because it just got big and ugly rather than more functional. And also it's like building a, it's like the Manhattan of motorbikes because Manhattan is an island with a bajillion people on it. And once you filled out all the space, yeah, the only place left to go is up, right? And yeah, they went literally all the way up to where you basically have a two-inch section. If your chin is down on the tank, which it is, even if you're sitting upright. Yeah, how do you tuck behind that windscreen? <laughs> yeah, you don't. There's a two-inch space where when your head is tucked into that 
fuel tank that you can see on hey, the top of the air screen. And all just so I found one website that did a write up on this. I, I, did, I found one website that did a write up on this, and they said about this bike that because of the strange tank shape, it really took the dog fucking a football analogy to new heights. Right, literally to new heights. <laughs> you know, the only thing missing is that there's like two like a, a beautiful escape, writing to escape. Um, I don't know vents on the side, and those would look cool with like those cool cluster gauges that you see like on the A pillar of like every fucking Fast and Furious car back in the nineties. Like that would oh, be the boost gauge. Yeah, that'd be so rad if there was like a boost and a temper, like a lambda gauge in those two little pods that are on the side <laughs> fairing right there. That's the only thing. That's, and then like a, oh, and then a cigarette lighter and an ashtray on the other side. That's the only thing missing from this bike. It just screams. This is like the bike that they would have made if Fast and the Furious had been a motorcycle movie rather than a car movie. Yeah. So as you might imagine, this bike didn't do very well. They made like four of them. What? <laughs> oh, so, so so back to the was, RSD super single. So I'm on again. I'm on oddbike.com, and and that means they have all four of them on this one website. There's like a red, a blue, a black, (laughs) and a white. So it it debuted at the 93 um, uh, Paris Salon uh, show, and people got really excited about it, which means a few moto journalists got excited about it. They got duped. So So I usually bring a philosophical point to these. And this is the philosophical point that based on no public interest, no widespread racing application, no sales, no sales, no anything. This company that was making decent supermotos was sort of pressured by a couple magazine write-ups in the early mid nineties to basically throw all their effort into going for this sport bike that ruined the company. And I see things like this happen, like almost happening all the time. So the Husqvarna 701, a bike that no sane person should want or like, that journalists just really fawn over because it has a couple quirky things that interest them because they're so fucked out and jaded, right? And so... You know, in the middle in the middle of the nineties, everything was bigger and better and faster every six months. So it must have been very easy for journalists to get so fucking jaded. Just like, yeah, I need the fastest now. Now I need the fastest again. Now I need the better. Now I need the crazier looking. And this was probably the first time that moto journalists just got super porn ruined and had to go to this <laughs> crazy lengths. I mean, this is fucking like I mean, this is like getting into snowballing. Like this is yeah. really fucking. Well, and this weird, is the nineties right? when like licking buttholes became like this started to become something that was normal instead of just something that you used to pay high dollar for. This is when movies like Showgirls was getting green lighted. This is when a lot of like questionably terrible things were getting okayed in the world, you know? And uh and I think Coke was getting affordable. Yeah. Well, that yeah, after the eighties, like there was a Right. There was a market rush of it and it became basically like a uh, like a, a Venezuelan dollar. You know, it's like you could get 10 of them for a penny. So, yeah, I mean, this is like this is that. I mean, think of the bands that were popular at this time, too. This is just like the excess of the 90s. Um, 
coming through in like what was going to be the 2000s. Like Y2K is coming and we got to make something, you know, the OJ chase is about to go down. I don't know. You can edit this out. Chili peppers are just getting into their stride. If you think about it, like this is probably the year that Anthony Kiedis and Flea uh, flipped that that uh, that monster truck in the chase. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. Oh Oh, fuck yeah. You mean you mean the chase that when I watched it, I was like, why did they start? That was a Jeep, wasn't it? No, it was a Bronco. It was a Bronco, I think. But uh, back to OJ. That yeah, yeah. That movie started at like twelve noon and ended in in LA and ended at like three o'clock in the morning in San Diego. And I was like, how did that happen? And then once I actually moved to LA and started commuting to San Diego, I was like, oh, that was real. That was shot in real time. (laughs) LA traffic is that horrible. But yeah, yeah. So this is this is that that time. You know, this, this is you know we're talking about. Uh, a time when people are trying to get woke, but it just, you know, translate that into, you know, looking back at it with 2020 vision, I guess was what I'm saying. Stuff like this was just, are you, you know, are you saying cause it's 2020? Yeah. Uh-huh. Looking back with 2020 vision, literally and 2020 in hindsight. Yeah. This is the sort of stuff that was making it to the shelves. But I mean, if you think about it, like we didn't know what we were doing at the time. What makes Supermoto's awesome is that on a lot of tracks, they'll smoke sport bikes. Like, there's so much potential to them, but no one is really doing it. And this was early in that, that supermoto scene and all jokes aside with like the RSD super single, like he thought it was going to be an affordable class if you were buying a 15 or $20,000 dirt bike kit, but whatever. You've um, said that 80 times. I don't think anybody knows what a rolling super single. Are you like, we don't have a fucking Google search bar to search RSD super single. We don't. I'm uploading. Figure it out. <laughs> Figure it out. Um, but you know, I mean, the whole idea is you're taking a supermoto that's so easy to ride and you're just putting a body on it so you can go to different tracks, basically. And it's it, it might be a little bit better. But, you know, so it is a it is like a smart concept. But like, especially for the case of that one, it's like poorly executed. Execution is important. Yeah. It's, yes. it's so poorly executed. <laughs> Yeah. It was, well, it was the executed were, like the 80s. Like it looks like an 80s There were bike. weirdly many different bikes kind of similar to it. So uh, Odd Bike has this great little part where they say, here's one of the big problems. Let's compare it to its peers. The BMW F650 Funduro, right? Um, you know, had the benefit of being cheaper and just more available. The KTM Duke. Uh, a little bit more of a reminder supermoto, but better bang for buck in performance for sure. Honda SRX um, was a little outdated. You got the MEZ Scorpion, was kind of extinct. Uh, but the Ducati Supermoto, nothing could touch. There's the Bimoto that was way too expensive. So everything in the class was absolutely lame, poor on performance, or unobtainium. So there was this room for this bike to do well if the execution had only made it sort of, sort of desirable. Yeah. But it wasn't. It could have had its own spec racing league because everything else was set up to be a failure within the Supermono class. It looks like what they really decided is we're only going to make new casts for plastics. And that's it. We've I, I I know a guy who can make this stuff really cheap. 
And otherwise, if we need anything new, metal, anything new spec, it's off the table. I mean, this is essentially, although much more poorly executed, this is very similar to what um, what Aston Martin is doing with their new bike. Mm. I have one sound effect oh, for yeah. this bike, if you guys will, will allow it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please tell me that's a sample from... Wiley Coyote. <laughs> yep. It's the Acme 1000 sound kit. Nice. Okay, so I think we're ready to call this one quits. We've got the Barigo Anixa 600. Worst bike in the world this week. I mean, I guess better than a car. Okay. <laughs> so now we're going to talk about Moto Fraud. Yeah. Which this sounds like a pretty weak thing to do, but we've actually got some gold in here. So this is kind of a time honored tradition in the motorcycle space. Yeah, it turns out it really is. The within the world of motorcycles, there's some really unique kinds of fraud and scams and scammery and and all of that. So who's got a specific example they want to bring up first? I've got a few good ones here. So I've got some racing ones. Excellent. And I found so many that I narrowed it down to the ones that were just verified. (laughs) Okay. So the first one's a little bit weak, but it's basically um, in terms of ballast. Uh, (laughs) Motorcyclists. Uh, apparently, in most racing leagues, it's illegal to add ballast to your bike because you can't just shave weight off and just put lead weights in the bottom of your bike. But for a lot of teams, they'll do all this uh, all this R and D, and they'll completely change the requirements. Especially when AMA really picked up on, especially with all the tracks they ride, they had to have certain noise restrictions. Uh-huh. Uh, my favorite one was just remapping the ECU between the end of the race and the bike getting inspected. Oh, there we go. And tuning it's tuning the ECU specifically for the RPMs that they test. Yeah. Uh, I mean, especially, you know, a lot of like production street bikes kind of do that too. Right. Because like, so Oh yeah. DMV checks it. Well, like, it's um like 2,500 RPM. And, uh, with the hooligan stuff, if you ever hear an Indian scout at 2,500 RPM, it purrs like a kitten. But it's like 10 times louder than my Sportster on a track. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, it goes all the way up to the um, the Volkswagen uh, emission scandal. Yeah. Yeah, that's where it hit production, which is awesome. Um, well, and, and my favorites, my two favorite ones are actually the simplest ones. Um, uh, and they have to do with, uh, race weight. Uh, one of them is, uh, apparently this was witnessed. It was a real thing where a bike was underway and he got spot checked after a race to make sure that the bike was legal. And apparently a mechanic in a panic, knowing that the bike was underweight, just took a chain and threw it in the air box <laughs> to get the bike up to weight. <laughs> I, 
I don't know if that's in a panic or like, <laughs> oh, shit, I know what to do. Yeah. Like, it sounds like he had a chain ready to go. You know, when- and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and now the other one with a very similar vein, um, which also got caught eventually was in motocross. You know, you got to weigh the bikes afterwards, but they don't want all the mud and everything stuck to the bike to count towards the weight. So they have to rinse them off before they go to Park Ferme, and and then they weigh them and everything afterwards. So he was sitting there with the power washer, knowing his bike was underweight. He was in the top three. His bike was going to get inspected. So while he was washing the bike off, he just stuck the power washer into the exhaust and filled it up. I thought you were going to say the air cleaner, like anything to absorb water, but that's dubious. I mean, if you don't now, start it up right afterwards, it's good to go. <laughs> right. Now, it turns out that when they hooked it up, apparently um, the way that they were weighing the bikes was they would just suspend them. You're kind of like you're weighing a bird or something. So when it popped like, a wheelie. It was like a little vet style, like pulley style um, uh, scale. And apparently the rear straps broke and the front stayed up in the back fell down gushed out and water. the water poured out of the exhaust <laughs> and they got caught that way you know what they used to do back in the day was put um leaded gas in because you know lead weighs a lot oh my god oh wow okay so i've got a couple good ones here what mercury uh, they put mercury gas in well well let's let's start with this one we both know about this one sweetie my favorite fraud in all of motorcycle cycling has to be the Moto3 Leopard Honda team. Well, it's got double credibility as fraud because they're also a big Tour de France sponsor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no greater hive of scum and villainy <laughs> than the Tour de France. Right? Thought, yeah. So, yeah, if it's dirty, they're involved. So what are we talking about? So one of the most successful Moto3 teams is Leopard Honda. And they're known as Leopard Honda consistently because they pretty much have only that one sponsor, which is highly unusual yeah. for a race team. Are you also just pronouncing the word leopard in a different way? That's they, how they, that's how they it. say it. Okay. And it's very important that you say Leopard. Right. So... It could, hey, it could for all hey for all intents and purposes it could be a person's name like Leo Vinci, you know like right is yeah. it Leopard Racing is that is that the, a person's name or is that do you think no it's just a weird name for this drink so Leopard <laughs> is this fucking energy drink supposedly except it's not the drink doesn't exist now they've updated the Leopard site recently as it it became a little bit of a thing on reddit that hey this drink isn't real no one can find it for sale anywhere well especially because they got really popular and there was a lot of um there was a lot of attention drawn to it when danny kent started doing really well yeah and then someone's like danny kent british hero you know what leopard's the sponsor i want to support my dude where can I get some Leopard energy drink? Yeah, I, this brand has been activated. I need a bit of it. You can get one no bottle one of it, it because that's all they've made to put on a uh, picture, you know, to take a picture of in a photo booth somewhere. 
So if you go to leopardnatural.com, you'll find a site that's not particularly well made that'll give you some information about the, well, well, not really a lot of information, but they'll give you a little brand statement They'll talk about all the ingredients. It really pushes these all this all natural ingredient thing. And then there's a third menu called where to buy, which is 100% blank. Yeah, empty. Is this like the fire fest of energy drinks? So what it is, is it's either a massive tax shelter or it's more likely just straight up laundering money. Yeah. Because the owner of this enterprise has been to prison in Spain many times over real estate fraud. It sounds like Leopard and, could be um, located maybe in the Seychelles somewhere. Like apparently the guy that runs this just like knows the king of Spain or something. And this just keeps happening. And anytime anyone tries to draw attention to it, it's all just kind of hushed up. So if there's not an episode next week, you know <laughs> where to ask questions. <laughs> right? <laughs> They've got Leopard all over him. <laughs> they got this. Let, let us just uh, insert. This is a suicide canary. We are both of sound mind and are not feeling suicidal at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's amazing because this is a really big team. Like, really big. Did they even have a Moto 2 team for a short time? Or am I thinking I, of uh, I think they did for a little while, yeah. Yeah. Like, it, like as, 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 like, people realized it was fake, they just sort of leaned into it. <laughs> yeah. That's what you got to do. Um, uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of like Firefest when it comes down to it. Like, you have to make something happen. And you're, what you're going to do is put up some FEMA shelters. You know, you're going to put a bunch of uh, sugar cane and water and sell it as Leopard because you got to have something, right? So... A while ago, as it was starting to become clear that you couldn't actually buy this, they did announce one location where you could buy this product. Literally one store. And it's in... um, Belgium. No, it's not in Belgium. It's in... uh, Brussels? No. It's in Luxembourg. This is Luxembourg. Which is also where all the uh, the non-Russian, very sketchy servers are located. Because <laughs> Luxembourg is a city-state in Europe. It's And literally, there is one store in Luxembourg. That's selling cans. And I'm not entirely cane. sure if it's true. Yeah. We're yeah. going to have to go visit one day when... Whenever we we get to take our sabbaticals and yeah. and just tour Europe, like we have to we have to stop at this store yeah, on the way to go see MotoGP yeah. and Mugello. Yeah, they couldn't have picked they yeah. couldn't have picked like a more vague name than Leopard Naturals too, because if you search that on Reddit, you just come up with how much the leopards' natural habitats have declined. Like, exactly, that was yeah. super tricky. Like, oh, I. <laughs> that's a good whoever is in in their uh, their CFO their chief fraud officer like he's really smart <laughs> yeah when I think legitimacy I don't think Luxembourg yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not too much yeah 
<laughs> it turns out racing in general, not just motorcycle racing, is filled with these fraud tax shelters and money laundering operations. There's a lot of people that are really just doing fuck all to activate a brand. They're just throwing money at it because they're like, hey, I know this is hemorrhaging money, but there's 10 times more money flowing in and then out of the other side of this for nefarious purposes. I mean, how do you explain Australia, Australia Galicia, like just keeps operating? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, the Mark VDS team, I mean, I mean, what does, what does that, do, what does that dude really do? Like, I don't know because no, it's a beer. Well, Australia Glacier is a beer. But it's a but they're advertising a non-alcoholic beer that is very difficult to find. Oh no, that's that's different because they they have to put the zero point zero. I know for Qatar, but but otherwise, well, also I think for Argentina. But no, they're they're advertising a real beer. It's a real product that is actually being produced and sold. Right, but Australia Jalisco is like the one you can actually buy. Like Galicia is super hard to find. I gotta anyway, say, you guys, I'm sure you there's guys some Spanish, fraud going on. You guys, there, Spanish but... is on point, by the way. <laughs> Jalisco, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Australia. Never mind. I mean, well, I don't give a fuck. I know. <laughs> anyway, so all right, I've got, I've got. We're going to go another way here with some fraud. I have found an article of a recent motorcycle theft scam ring technique operation, oh, yeah. whatever you want to call it. And so this is from this is reported on by MCN last year, and this is the most amazing scam you've ever heard of. It is so convoluted. It has more working parts than the plot of reindeer games. <laughs> it's like, okay, so, all right. So it involves three motorcycles and I love how like MCN reported it. They go, it works like this. So first, Someone steals a reasonably valuable motorcycle. So, I don't know, let's say a new leader bike, right? They remove the license plate and then they just store it somewhere, put it in a storage unit, whatever. After that, they go and they buy a similar bike from a salvage auction. And then they take all the numbers off of that bike, off the salvage bike. Off the salvage okay. bike. Then an accomplice purchases a third similar bike. And that is a pretty much straight up honest transaction. But it's a very cheap bike, but it's similar enough, right? So someone might get like a new ZX-10R and then... They then they go buy a salvage ZX10R, and then someone legitimately purchases like a pretty fucked up like Ninja 650. Okay. All right. So now bike B, the one that was previously written off already, it was bought at salvage. They set it on fire, or crush it, or they just destroy it, and then they leave the license plates from the bike that was stolen originally, bike A, nearby. 
So, once the burnt-out wreck is discovered, <laughs> MCN says it's wrongly assumed to be bike A, the stolen bike. So the stolen bike is no longer listed as stolen. Oh. Right? And then um, they, they get another fake plate, and then they sell it off to someone else for, you know, the full profit, right? Now, <laughs> bike C, this is the really magic part. <laughs> bike C is then given the identity of bike B. The one that was actually the one that was actually burned or whatever, that one is given the salvage title, which is still legit, and it's sold for parts or just sold as is to just some some idiots. But it's got a title. But it's got a title with it, exactly. And it's similar enough, right? So they're like, yeah, this is like Kawasaki Ninja on the title, even though it doesn't all add up if someone knows. But they'll try to sell that to some idiot. So there's a scam, like there's a a moving part and a little bit of profit on all three of the bikes involved. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty How fucking complicated is that? Usual spot... Wait, but usual suspects eat your fucking heart out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, when I think of lucrative motorcycle scams and you know reliable professional uh, crime, I don't think of four to seven interactions with the police. <laughs> but you know what here's the deal you you once you cross those bridges you don't have to you know you're 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 done it's not like uh i i see why the complexity of it all is because well you're leaving a paper trail i mean i kind of i eat my words i kind of don't see the complexity the only thing i can think of is that like by going jumping through all these complex hoop you've left a confusing paper trail that looks like it's not really a paper trail and it would take some serious dick tracy action to actually figure it out and combust you this is this sounds like a one-time thing we have computers now well so if the same dude gets interviewed and has a recorded bike sale and a bike destroyed and reported stolen and there's so many interactions that require the same person to talk to the police several times yeah Uh, hey and police as much as we all love to hate on the police they're not stupid yeah well mostly well but yeah (laughs) and okay you know maybe you know what you or I or Peter or Wiggins could probably get away with this. What? One time. Yeah. <laughs> but as an elaborate I say long we do term- it, guys, because this podcasting's really not paying a lot. Right, yeah. I mean I may need to start right. The thing is, is that like it's almost doesn't feel like this would be worth it. Like this is I don't like paperwork anyway, even necessary paperwork like for my job and stuff. It's like yeah, this is a job. I feel like, like that's too much work. <laughs> so many steps. <laughs> yeah. Now, now also imagine that you know you you know the four of us could probably get away with this one time. Yeah. Yeah. The dumbass who's going to go for this strategy does not have a clean record. 
I really want Wes Anderson to get the Owens brothers back together and the whole cast of Bobble Rocket to do a sequel where this is the plot. (laughs) (laughs) I forget what even was the plot of Bottle Rocket that he... They love somebody. They were knocking off a fireworks factory. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. There was no cash there. So good. Okay. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Owen Wilson does that sweet mini bike wheelie in that movie. <laughs> I haven't seen that since <laughs> yeah, it was new in theaters. He actually stands up and just makes the bike wheelie in front of him. It's good. <laughs> um, okay. So. The uh, the next one I've got here is um, I, not so much a specific example, but there is a dirty, dirty ring of people that will do something like buy a standard Ducati 916 and add a couple flashy parts and badges to make it look like one of the SPs and put other like just chop bikes together to look like they're much more expensive collectible versions Hmm. and sell them for twice the price to collectors enough that now, especially in the UK and Europe, there are emerging these shops, these sort of, uh, you know, bike experts that will verify these bikes for you, or at least claim to be able to, because this is, shockingly rampant so give me an example so you need the expert that can that can, so basically you need the expert who can is this well is this similar to like um like the ver- like you need to have verifiers like you have at the louvre to exactly. determine that the Mona yeah. Lisa you've got is actually real so like, you're trying to buy like a um i don't know like something like a, a, a honda nr right And everything's cool, except, you know, you don't really know what a Honda NR engine actually looks like. And maybe someone bought a cheap Honda NR because the motor was blown out and they just put something else in there. And this guy can come up to it and go, hey, like, this is fucked up. You know, here's the numbers. Here's what it should be. And it doesn't match up. Or let's say you're like I just said, the Ducati nine one six is a great example because they made and sold quite a few, you know, five, ten, fifteen thousand Ducati nine one sixes and the nine nine eights and nine nine sixes, and they can all be kind of dressed up fairly easily to look like the SP models, which they only made a few hundred of or a couple hundred of each year, and they are highly collectible because the SPs are essentially the ones that they raced in World Superbike, and they were world superbike winning bikes for all those years so they're very collectible but there's also bikes that would normally sell for a fifth of the price that with a couple badge swaps yeah can be you know a lot of times decals and gold forks will make like all the difference you know like that's all exactly decals and gold forks right yeah so it's a pretty dirty world you know, um, uh, Every, has anyone gone so far as to stamp new VIN numbers into the frame? I was going to say oh, there's all kinds of shit. Yeah. yeah, you'd have to grind off the numbers and stamp some new numbers. Yeah. I was going to say a lot of times motorcycle <laughs> VINs don't decode down that much to what um, unless it's unless it's a limited number that has like a serial number on the plate as well. Like the best you're going to get a lot of times is uh, 
the difference between ABS and non ABS or like, you know, if it's like a package, then you don't even usually get that unless you're looking at like a, some sort of, um, owner's manual serial number. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a lot of stuff. That yeah. There's a, there's a lot down. of numbers. There's a lot of like, like, uh, like Honda CB numbers will only refer to sort of, um, yeah. batches yeah, 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 rather yeah. than, you know, a specific one made on a specific day. Right. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, they would just, Honda would, has always just created these huge amounts of batches. So it's, it'll be like documented for CB seven fifties. Oh, uh, we've just found out from documenting it out that typically mm-hmm. frames from this batch number match up two engines from this batch number, but we know they were made like a year apart. Mm -hmm. It just happens that Honda, the way Honda was pulling stock, this is the way they were assembled. Mm -hmm. But so you might have something that looks like it's not numbers matching for the year and everything, but it's actually is correct. And that's the kind of shit that you have to pay these experts for. Now, if you're trying to buy, you know, if you're looking for a real legit CB 750 Sandcast. Right? Did someone just refurbish a Sandcast motor and put it in like a K3 frame? Mm-hmm. How the fuck would you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, a- you know, you can look up frames, but I mean, again, that's that's not a super difficult frame to uh, to uh, to stamp a new VIN in somewhere. Yeah. My and I have a friend who's like a Honda Pro that does all that stuff, and um. It's always amazing to me because like I, you know, I, I Wait, really don't stamps know. For the numbers and frames. Yep, exactly. You got to <laughs> You want a Harley? You want to be a Honda? Let me know. <laughs> um, it's amazing because the, the further away we get from the day that that bike was manufactured and the less this knowledge gets passed down through the, uh, through the ages, the more these people are going to be, it's going to be like trying to discern like how old a piece of ancient art is now and how valuable it is based on like somebody's opinion now of what they've heard over the last like hundred years. You know what I'm saying? Like it's going to be so more, more. There is actually, um, there is a very simple solution to this, but it's going to bore a lot of people. Um, then let's not say it you on can actually <laughs> <laughs> you can have um, you can have the VIN and then an accompanying code along with the VIN that is actually encrypted, mm-hmm. where it's a combination of a master key and plus the VIN, key. And, yeah, and then that is the key that goes on the frame. And you can actually do it so that you could have Honda or whatever manufacturer set up a website that says, give me the VIN, give me the key. I will tell you if they match or not. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. I see and then, and then, yeah, there's no way to fake the key because if you change the VIN, you cannot fake the new key. Right. You're talking a physical key. And, no, I mean, like... <laughs> What are you talking about here? Like the key to the right, right. The key, like a little keystone, so to speak. Sure. No, I mean, just another serial number. Right. That right. is generated off of that, the VIN. that particular VIN. Right. Yeah. That's what I thought you meant. Yeah. I was just making so sure you, you weren't can't, talking you like. Can't, so you can't put a new VIN on without 
knowing what the what the secret key is. Right, and right. essentially this this is the same way that um well, hey, whenever you go to a secure website, yeah. like it's the same technology. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to sound crazy, yeah. but they do have cars that like you can imagine it's high end luxury European cars that has like a special code on the physical key that won't it'll only register to that VIN number car. You know what I'm saying? Like that's why I didn't know if you meant like the phys- a physical key here that will would, No, uh, this is like right. this is like say Honda wants Honda's making some let's say Honda makes a new NR and they're like, okay, we're gonna make a hundred of them. For every VIN number, Honda will make yeah, a man. secret VIN number that's a, that's that corresponds to it that only they know about. So if you need to get it verified, you know, Honda will go, okay, so this bike was sold with a secret VIN number that you had to call here to access or whatever, you know, like it, you know, someone's trying to sell this bike. Oh, do you know the secret number? Because if they, if they just changed the VIN number or whatever, they wouldn't have the secret number that Honda had created also to correspond to it. Okay. I thought, that this would go a lot better. That's gonna, yeah. This is bad. Uh, that's gonna okay. Two for, things. Uh, One. Gonna, yeah. Every. Okay. Two things. One. Uh, people are gonna be really triggered about the fact that we're saying VIN number. That's true. Secondly. Yes, you have both got the technology horribly, horribly wrong. I know. For anyone who really wants the reason to- Amazon Web Services is super pissed with me right now. <laughs> For anyone who wants to understand this, uh, just go on Wikipedia and look up public-private key encryption, if you really want to know. But ultimately, (laughs) it's just a really fancy way of having code words and encryption that makes it so that you cannot defraud based on a lot of really complicated math. Are you telling me it's kind of like having your own personal Navajo code talker assigned to your bike? And when you sell your bike, yes, you're it's gonna... exactly like that. Okay, perfect. But they're not even speaking Navajo. It's just a made-up language. What? It's... Zentridi? Yeah. Oh, my God. So, uh, I, sure. Yeah. I've got I've a got fraud. got one last. Yeah, yeah. Let's hear yours. Oh, you've got. Oh, no, no, no. You've got a fraud. I, yeah. did, I didn't know you brought frauds. Yeah, I did. Give us one. Well, my fraud. We didn't expect you to produce. Yeah, well, hey, listen. Neither did my <laughs> wife. And I got two kids out of that deal. Um, my oh, fraud. I got a shitty fraud, too. My fraud, before we get to Wigan's shitty fraud, my fraud is the the 2.9 second rule fraud that we happen to be hearing, particularly right now, this is going to be a zeitgeist of the times, out of every single uh, electric bike manufacturer, um, what we're hearing is these torque numbers and these like, or not torque numbers, even. we're just hearing this 2.9 second acceleration. And it makes me wonder... All e-bikes apparently do zero to 60 in 2.9. If you read like every single website right now, and that's like the biggest thing everyone's saying, right? Why not just like measure gas, uh, measure them the same way we measure gas bikes on a freaking dyno with horsepower, because whether you're steam, electric or gas, you all produce horsepower, right? And you all produce torque. And so I'm just wondering why this secret fraud, like to me, it's a fraud that they're giving you this number that people are supposed to expect to know. Well, like why, you know, gas bikes do, why don't we call them out by their zero to 60 times. Like, I don't understand why they're not like, uh, they're all hitting this 2.9 number, which seems fraudulent to me because 
so they're all the same. So it doesn't really matter what electric bike you buy. We're trying to get people excited about these things. And apparently it doesn't matter what brand you buy. It's just all driven by price because they all do 2.9 second zero to sixties. And like, that's all you need to know before you buy one. Like, thanks. Okay. Go buy it. We've already talked in this episode about spec sheet bait and switch by manufacturers listing horsepower and torque at the crank rather than at the rear wheel. Yeah. They always engineer, and we did an episode about reading spec sheets and sort of decoding a lot of this stuff. So, yeah, they they, they list 2.9 seconds for all the electric bikes because if you really want to know the horsepower of your electric bike, it's usually a pretty disappointing number. <laughs> yeah. It'll be like 43 horsepower. Yeah, unless it's the Damon. For this bike. Yeah, the 200 horsepower. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or, or, hey, listen, here's a better thing, too. Or they might have 180 or 200 horsepower, but they weigh 800 pounds. So the horsepower to weight ratio is like, you know, a big difference. But, you know, why don't gas bikes all throw out like the zero to 60 time? You know, like usually you have to read an independent um, article to see because they're the ones that are taking it to the track and testing that and like putting so it through the There is a very important reason for Wiggins that. and his dad will know that in the 90s sport bikes did throw out a lot of quarter mile and zero to 60 times well but I, you they know, don't the, anymore the original ad- well here's the thing there's there's two elements to this i think a One lot of that is, is insurance no. If so, you, if you say that a bike off the showroom floor will do a quarter mile in fucking 11 seconds insurance companies aren't stoked about that 11 seconds dude i run tens all day bro yeah i, my, I, I just pulled the number out of my ass i've only been on a eighth mile but my but fucking harley does eight eights or no high seven it turns out that um insurance companies don't give a fuck about horsepower numbers or anything huh insurance companies when I insured my entirely GTI, they gave a fuck yeah <laughs> Well, well, unless it's like a super unobtainium thing or something ridiculous. Yeah, but think of, think how ridiculous a 600 or 1,000cc sport bike is. Like a 1,000cc yeah. sport bike that anyone with 15 to 20 grand can walk in a showroom and buy, and they make almost 200 fucking horsepower. They weigh 350 pounds. They'll do 100 mile an hour in first gear. Like, yeah. that's, that's, that's that's all, shit's nuts. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's all, the, all you, they, you no, show up yeah. to Irwindale and it's the fastest thing on the fucking eighth mile off the showroom. How floor. much is it going to cost them to cash you out? And how much are they responsible for if you crash into something? That's what they're worried about. They don't care about the horsepower. Okay, so no, for the sure. Reason, but the chances the, of you being a fucking right, vegetable and then right. paying for that is high. Well, but the reason that you're wrong here is if you look at 600, if you look at super, super sports and super bikes, and you compare the relative value of those bikes and how dangerous they are, and you realize that the 600s are just a hair under the insurance cost of the leader bikes, that tells you right there. It's not the, the actual value. It's not the horsepower. It's not the acceleration or the torque. It's what is the end result. Mm-hmm. Oh. That really determines the insurance price. I'm mean, sure the leader bikes are way more dangerous. Yeah. They don't turn as well. They're more unstable. They're faster. They accelerate harder. But they're also more expensive. And they're bought by a market of people who are yeah. somewhat less risk averse than the super sport riders. Yeah. So they actually don't cost all that much more to insure. 
So yeah. to, that's, to that's Wigan's, the, to Wigan's, the equation. Yeah, to Wigan's point, like a 16-year-old, even if they're driving a Suzuki 360, or I'm sorry, a Subaru 360, sure. are still going to pay the, you know, that thing has like six horsepower max, but they're driving that or a friggin' Subaru WRX, and it's like they're going to have high insurance rates regardless because they're, and ex- their experience level is low. But and yeah, you're right. They don't take any of that other stuff. They, what they take into account most of the time is the minimums and then the act- the ACT or the ACV, which is the actual cash value of the bike, like when, when it's totaled, like what's Actually, that going to cost? I think yeah. a lot of the stuff- Cash value times risk. A That's lot of the, the stuff equation. they take in consideration is how much does it cost to put a human body in a hospital for a night? Because one night in a hospital will pay for it. Right. Well, yeah, that's exactly. a, that's a lot of a bigger cost. I mean, that's the minimums that I'm talking about too. Yeah, they like they 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 figure that into every insurance policy basically. Whether you're driving a, you know, the three thousand horsepower you know Hen- Hennessy Mustang or something versus a, um, you know a. 25 okay. horsepower. So I'm going to remind everybody that our fraud subject at the moment is why are we trying to misrepresent the performance of electric motors? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, shit. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so uh, there's good news and bad news for all the electric bike owners. The, the good news is, is that most people that even have 100 horsepower, 150 horsepower bikes rarely ask their bikes to produce more than 60 horsepower. 60 horsepower will get you to 100 miles an hour. Yeah, pretty quick. You know? too. Dude, so Pamela's got the, the electric 17. bikes. <laughs> I cracked the ton one time. Uh, electric bikes make power in a, a slightly different way. So the full force of the, uh, of the torque and everything is available immediately at the pull the throttle. You don't have to build it up. So it's ultimately less power, but the full thrust of that, so to speak, is available off the line. Thus, they're able to do impressive zero to 60 times, which is what most people enjoy about bikes, just rocketing off of lines and good, smoking good point. cars. You're not well, honestly, stoplight to stop end- it, you know, legitimately in the fifty to a hundred horsepower range, instantaneous throttle response is probably worth like five to ten horsepower. Oh, like in terms more, of how yeah. it actually feels and how it performs. Yes. So, the, the, yeah, they, they this this two point nine. Who even knows if these bikes do it in two point nine? What they're trying to tell people is, hey, yeah, this bike may not have a lot of power, but don't worry, it's still going to feel fun. But in order to do that, they have to sort of misrepresent the numbers because you might say, oh, this bike does a, you know, zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds. It must have Hayabusa type power. Well, no, it doesn't. But the good news is it doesn't matter that much that it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, every bike is zero to 60 in 2.9 unless it's a Grom, right? Where's my cricket sound? I want to say it my super hawk is listed at like 3.1. But also the, the zero to 60 times are super duper misrepresented as well because, okay, yeah, you might have a 600 super sport that does, you know, 3.1, 3, 2.9. If you don't have lines controls, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's down to you. Well, also, there's and skill you probably to suck. I defy you to actually make your bike do 0 to 60 in that amount of time because you need to be pretty damn good to make it do that. 
Or have an electric twisting I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, you still gotta, you know, well, this is hold why, on and tuck in. Well, this is why boosters come with launch control. Drag racing is an art. I'm no good at it. I've never done it. I don't pretend to be that good at it because I've never fucking done it. And I'll tell you, from all the money that people throw into it, that's all you need to know how complicated and involved it is. Yeah. So... That's a 2.9 uh, yeah. question and a good uh, a good cocoon. I think we covered more bases than we thought. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's hear Wiggins. Uh, EPA estimated fuel economy. Oh, this is good. good. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, shut the fuck it's up. total bullshit. Like, there's no fucking way. Like, I just bought a new car, so this is why I'm, like, thinking about this. I get fucking city MPG. I get below city... All the time, even driving like a fucking grandpa. Is it broken in yet, too? Is it? Uh, yeah, that actually might help a little bit. It's still pretty new, but yeah, it doesn't really matter. Like, when has anything even came close to the EPA estimated average? Yeah. Depen- <laughs> yeah, I guess it well, depends. Well, this is how you interesting. It, I mean, there's definitely a lot of that. Yeah. Um, I know Honda this- got in trouble, I think, with the Insight or one of the Civics, you know, in the 90s or early 2000s. They literally got in trouble for, um, and I don't think it was the EPA estimated. I think it was some kind of ad, but they fucking pulled it. Like they drove right up behind like a big truck with like arrow shit on it. And they're like, look, we got nice. like 200 MPGs. <laughs> if you can tailgate a semi, which I've done actually when I when I had a Volkswagen Fox, I Dude, had to. Uh, that shit will pull you in if you're I not know. careful. I drafted one whenever we'd go snowboarding because uh, if, if the drag goes all the way over and hits the back of your car, it'll suck yeah. you in. I was a poor kid who had to pay money for a lift ticket, and I sure as hell wanted to be able to get to the mountains and back on one tank of gas. So I did that. But, but honestly... It's like those videos of people doing... Um, bicycle oh, God, top like speed a, records. 120 miles an hour yeah, but they're yeah. behind like a yeah like a arrow rig yeah they, do they like have to have train ridiculous like... gear ratios so their legs don't just fucking fly off yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you know i think a lot of this stuff too says um especially on bmw's site it has like in, in a little small print because they don't want they don't want to tell you that you're supposed to be doing 34 miles an hour to get this thing but in really small print it'll tell you at 55 kilometers an hour which is what like 37 or i mean it's like almost like half of 55 right it's it's a little more but you know that's like 35 miles an hour for um, uh, you know an hour to get that thing and there's nowhere in the world that you're going to be riding at 35 miles an hour you're in stopping well there's also a difference between i mean again the the sticker on the car door or the motorcycle and motorcycles they don't really talk about it as much but that's supposed to be a third party doing that testing mm-hmm. it's not supposed to be the factory otherwise you get people driving behind semis saying their car does a lot better so yeah. how does the epa do that yeah well and and, and so it's a lot better nowadays supposedly but yeah there there is a whole bunch of um there's a whole bunch of chicanery that's involved in essentially tuning the vehicles to the test itself. Yeah. Well, because hashtag Volkswagen, let, let's right? be real. The whole, <laughs> the whole notion of combined city and highway miles is the most ludicrous idea of all time. Like, how can you find like an average mix? Because well, no one be. person does the same highway and city miles. No, you're right, but that At number all. should be like, 
an accurate representation of just doing the math, but your city should be a, a pretty good representation of if you just drove in the city. And I don't care. Like, of course, in California, we can't really look at freeway miles because even though we have freeways everywhere, everything's not a freeway, but the other one should be at 65 or 70 mile an hour on a freeway. What does the car get? You know, do, I mean, obviously you're not going to do one tank of gas if you're a manufacturer, but but it's not different mileage numbers in every state. Yeah. Well, here's the, right. (laughs) Well, right. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Like I'm saying, obviously they're not going to do the test in California, but you know, why don't they go to Utah drive a hundred miles down the freeway and turn around and drive a hundred miles back and just basically do that over and over and over to get an average for that. Like saying- how does the EPA come up with this number right. that is obviously not what people actually well, get? Here's another thing. It's like, well, the well, EPA doesn't do shit. I'm guessing that's X why. motorcycle manufacturer first cuts a check. <laughs> mails it off <laughs> here's the deal too like if you know well this no- is why well hang on there's, there's there's a couple other things like this is why things like um like i even did know, engine shut off fuel exists a fuel and actually be- the engine shut off at a red light doesn't save much gas like literally oh, on, on a does. on a it really does uh well, not, no, it not according it to my digital shame. readout it, like on a full so, tank of gas, I save less than a tenth of a gallon. And it, but well, the reason, it, how many the reason over is the course of a vehicle over millions of no, 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 for sure. The reason that they shut off at lights isn't to save you fuel; it's to stop the car from putting emissions into the air for ten minutes. And I will say, Correct. even though yeah. it's only a, a a fraction, you know, a small percentage of a gallon of gas, it does shut off for around ten minutes per tank. Um, Sometimes it won't shut off at a light and sometimes it will. I don't really know how to get it to when I want it to. But, um, yeah, so they're like, hey, so if you look at that in a tank of gas, you save 10 minutes worth of bad emissions, which makes sense. It's not really to save well, fuel. It is It is legit. A lot of people say that it's bullshit, but it is legit because apparently on modern on modern motors – you only have to shut the engine off for six or seven seconds to equal the amount of fuel it takes to restart the motor. Yeah, I remember back in high school when everyone had cars that were fucking awful on gas. If someone was just if we were like if we were like all you know, a bunch of high school kids and we were just rolling up to the Circle K or actually you know, the Bigfoot. There you go, Wings, the Bigfoot. <laughs> um we said and just someone's Casey's. like, dude, I'm going to run in and get a pack of smokes. We would actually do that math. We'd be like, are you just going to run in and just get smokes? Because I'll leave the engine running. Because we used to do that. If it was going to be like 20, 30 seconds, because you used to be able to like actually get through a line back then and, and buy smokes that quickly and run back out to the car, they would just leave the engine running. So we go, oh, it's not worth it to turn it off. But we're talking about, you know, this is 1999 in high school with guys like well, driving fucking like, you know, Chevy Apollos and shit. Right? We also like come from this. Leave it running. You know, there was also this old mentality and it's actually 100 percent true, but that starting your car was the worst thing you could do on it. And the reason is, is because your car sits overnight and all the oil drains out of all the places that needs to be. Oh, yeah. Where when it shuts off at a stoplight, people still have that mentality like, oh, it's so hard on this thing. And it's like, no, because all the 
the oil still in the places that it's supposed to be. You're not trying to get those yeah. pumping. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why so many like you hear a lot of race cars fire up and they have so much electric stuff going. It's fuel pump. And I think some of them will do oil, too, because they have a forty thousand dollar engine sitting there or more that they want. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pre-circulate a little yeah. oil first. Yeah. yeah. I think I heard well, if, if it's so bad, how come we don't have an electric starter that will pump the oil up without firing the cylinders and then start the motor once the Dude, oil. Maybe, maybe they do. I, I don't know. So complex. Nowadays. Well, and <laughs> I mean, now, you know, they're so reliable for so long that maybe they haven't thought that that would do a lot. I don't know. Well, yeah, maybe they're like, fuck it. We've, this motor will do 400,000 miles. Yeah, the water pump's going to so go and it's going to warp done. the head before they're worried yeah. about it or whatever. Like, yeah, I think that the... Yeah. Um, and there's no profit in making your car last forever. It's kind of like curing cancer, right? Like, they want you to buy a new one in 10 years or five years. So I maybe- have a good rant on that. I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to do it on this episode, but this it's coming. Well, it all ties into our, my TFT conspiracy theory. It does, yeah. <laughs> God. You know, all, all okay. I can say on that is, uh, A, I know this was about the EPA estimated things, is that you're not going to get the same uh, type of mileage driving around Fort Wayne, Indiana, as you are in San Francisco, because San Francisco is a hilly motherfucker. You're probably going to go through brakes and clutches more. And I don't think that there's one good way to satisfy anybody other than doing some crappy thing on a rolling treadmill. Well, that's which that's not they do. that wasn't my whole point about the fraud. The whole point is it's a third party, right? It's not put on there to sell cars. It's put on there to supposedly be something honest for the buyer. So how come it's not accurate? Like, I'm sure that the car companies have a lot to do with the testing. Hey, there's probably somebody getting way better gas mileage than you are. So it's accurate because if you're getting bad and they're getting I'll better. Say, well, this is also not. why this is also why. Everything that I look at in terms of cars, motorcycles, computers, anything really like that has any kind of performance number attached to it. Just having on it. gone through this for so long, I now have this really, really complex filter that I view everything through. And there's like 10 or 12 different gates that you've got to get through for me to actually take your product seriously. Well, on top of that, you know, Wiggs is saying, um, you know, these numbers aren't accurate, but the only bikes I norm, I regularly see touting uh, fuel economy are weirdly some 600s and 650s and then all the 300 and 250 class bikes. Oh, and, yeah, because that's what the only category want. of bikes in general that really pushes it hard seems to be Honda. No one else really, like, yeah, you know, we go to a lot of bike shows and I check out a lot of dealerships and those tags hanging off the mirrors. Honda likes to put estimated fuel on there. Mm-hmm. Honda loves to put a CBR 300 at the front of a showroom with a tag that says 60 miles per gallon. But I don't see that so much with Suzuki's or yeah. Kawasaki, I, any other big yeah. fours. Or- uh, BMW is like really the only one I can think of that like actively displays their uh, MPG estimates on their bikes. Yeah, you're right. Well, and I, yeah. I did say and in the beginning, questions I know, about- I know it's not as big for bikes, but... You know what? You know what is funny is that bikes 
in California, for the most part, get away with not having to get smogged. Actually, I probably shouldn't rant about this because uh, <laughs> we could screw up. Grandfathers, yeah, they'll we, go, they won't grandfather. Yeah, we could, go we could get yeah. screwed up on this. But, you know, that we are more fuel efficient than cars and go further on a tank of gas and uh, supposedly. Oh, that's out, not true at all. Put out yeah. less emissions and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's really not true. It's, yeah, it's, it's very not true. After getting well, most is, of my bikes don't even get 30 MPGs. <laughs> It's mostly true on just straight CO2. It is not true on sulfur. It's not true on uh, nitrogen or any of the other compounds. Like, it turns out that on straight CO2, like straight fuel and energy, it is true for the most part. But yeah, on all the other way more harmful uh ozone <laughs> right. gases were actually not that good yeah yeah i know that's a i mean even on a purely basic miles per gallon a lot of bikes aren't that not good anymore no not well anymore. miles per gallon with weight you know with like pound miles like how much weight are you moving oh, over yeah, this you know, then it's then it's, it's got to be horrendous yeah then it's, yeah, it's horrible it's much better now on the milwaukee eight but if you Average miles per gallon on like an old Harley Evo motor. Oh, dude, or my twin cam was it like twenty six. Shockingly bad. Like, if you want to start asking questions about miles per gallon in a Harley dealership, it's like asking a little too many questions around the Leopard. Oh, <laughs> dude, like, try having <laughs> try having a sport bike too, dude. They're thirty 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 two on a good day, you know. I, I've had oh, down to nineteen on sport bikes. Terrible! Oh, my Superhawk might be twenty-five in town. Dude, my RC fifty-one oh. at Willow's got to be like fifteen. <laughs> yeah. Well, it in just contrast, drinks, dude. Okay, so Peter and I did essentially just shy of an iron butt from uh, from Austin, Texas, to Clayton, New Mexico. Well, it was only just shy of an iron butt because we went 100 miles in the wrong direction. For That's a while. true. It should that is a, true. It should have been a 700-mile day, but it was like 938. Right. So <laughs> the Superhawk made about 30 to 35 miles per gallon, but the 700-pound Norge did an honest 55 miles per gallon. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but that was with just rock solid, like constant RPM the whole way. A lot of it too. Well, yeah, it's you a know, twin. a lot of the Why little bikes when you get out on the freeway, uh, it's like electric. You know, they have less freeway range because a lot of the because they're down on horsepower, and a lot of the smaller electric, yeah. like more fuel efficient bikes, are actually that same way. Where if you're trying to ride on the freeway, they're dogs. Yeah, I mean, and, and they have to work so hard to hold that speed. When I used to ride, spam- right? Because well, the thing that people don't recognize is that you think, oh well, it's so much less mass going the same speed. Why yeah. wouldn't it be so much better? But mass doesn't matter once you're up to speed. It no, only right. matters during acceleration. And it turns out that compared to cars, motorcycles have the worst aerodynamic profile yeah, of they're any other vehicle. <laughs> yeah. It's especially the terrible. old inline four naked bikes. Or even worse, the inline six CBX. Now, there are like some really good ones. Like, um, actually, you can do, you can have a really good aerodynamic profile 
if you go back to the dustbin fairings, yeah, it turns say, out <laughs> that the whole reason those were banned from racing is because they were they're obscenely dangerous with how bad crosswinds affect them. Oh, yeah. Like a sail. You're just riding on a sail at that point. Yeah, ride a gold link through some crosswinds. Oh, man. They're fun. Yeah, you know, I still want to build a streamliner. Dude, I still want to love it. Speaking of gold wings and getting off. I'm sorry to get off your fraud uh, topic. I want to build a gold wing uh, motocrosser after seeing some of the some of the stuff (laughs) that those guys are doing and seeing some of the like gambler 500 stuff that I've seen lately. (laughs) Um, I I also have a fraud ish issue. And I, I haven't done okay. enough, I haven't done enough research on it, so hopefully you guys can. And if we can't, we'll just scrap this out. I mean, this is Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast. We rarely have enough research on anything we say. Speak for yourself, Wiggins. I spend hours. Yeah, I want to do us both a service here. We've brought up like a lot more actual, you know, factual information on this that we've done in quite a while. So, let's, so we can't. So we have room to bring up one that's not so well researched. Yeah, go for it. Um, I just I just read this today. Zach Quartz from um, Motorcyclist was uh, he has AAA SoCal and so do I. And I saw that uh, AAA SoCal doesn't consider motorcycles multi vehicles on your policy. And I thought that's crazy. Unless you have multiple motorcycles. No, I have. Oh, they don't. That's what he's saying. They don't oh, consider okay. motorcycles multi vehicles. So I said I have two because I guess he only has one car. Wait, multiple vehicles or multi passenger vehicles? Well, no, I, it, I don't know. So you get a multi vehicle discount for a lot of insurance companies because mm-hmm. this is a problem I brought up too. Um, so if you have a car and a motorcycle, you don't get a multi vehicle discount. Yeah, that's what he was Where saying. Or if you have a car. Uh, and another car you do now i think and i could be wrong i think if you so you actually have at least with progressive you have two separate uh accounts you have one for your four-wheel vehicles and one for your motorcycles yeah um but i think you can get a multi-vehicle discount on each separately if you have multiple motorcycles and multiple cars because i'm a fucking moron and i have multiple of both right now yeah and you know it sounds more like bureaucracy than fraud a hundred percent there you go so we'll leave it at that this is a uh this is not so much fraud unless you're it's because uh, in the united uh, states it's considered a recreation vehicle so even if it's your only vehicle it's recreation so that way they can charge you more for insurance yeah mark hoyer who was the former editor-in-chief i believe of motorcyclist or cycle world one of those to responded back to him and said that he had the same thing happen with a with his insurance company. He didn't they didn't name names, but um, he said that he had brought it up being part of the motorcycle industry helped because he brought it up as a, uh, a you know, as a columnist and a, and a multiple vehicle owner. And <laughs> eventually some policies got changed at his um, carrier. So I don't know who he has, but uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of. You know, if my wife and I wanted to go down to one car after the kids get bigger, we're not getting that discount anymore. I mean, I guess it'll be cheaper because a car well, will be off the policy. I but. will I will confirm this to some degree because I don't insure my truck and my motorcycles through the same insurance company. Because when I went to go get a quote from the in, from the company insuring my truck, it was an outlandish number. And then I went hunting around, and even after putting in, you're doing it through my own account with the company, 
another company came up uh, cheaper. Hmm. So I don't insure my vehicles through the same company because it ended up being cheaper, even though I already had a policy with them. Mm-hmm. And what are so your, are your coverages basically legit. the same and, and all, and the coverage is, you know, adequate and all that. Cause that might be for somebody, I mean, it's, it's a hassle to pay two different people instead of be able to throw it all out there. I guess it's a convenience thing well, more or less to have it all. Here's one, my thing. And I get bill. to, a point I don't give a shit. I, more, I put it on a card on auto pay and then I forget about it. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. how it works. Yeah. No fraud, just bureaucracy. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be true. Well, no, no, that, that that falls into fraud though, because so much insurance advertising is about all the discounts they'll give you or whatever. Yeah. Which is basically ways to mitigate the initial overcharging that they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Right. <that's> true. <laughs> so so if they're telling you, oh, you're going to get these discounts, and they go, actually, on this technicality, like this is just this is just healthcare all over again. So yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Sweet. Okay, so we're at a pretty good amount of time here. Do we have any more frauds, or uh, do we want to wrap this up? I'm ready to wrap. I think we got. I'm get, ready to wrap too. Yeah, I think we got to get Wiggins out of here too. It's uh, Sasquatch Thirty over here. Okay, late. so for. Late. I'm going to say now we're going to wrap this up for the whole show. Signing out here, MotoGP and Swiggy for the Nokomoto podcast. And signing out here for Junkie and Wiggins for creative writing. And, and Wiggins for just Wiggins Wednesday. You know, the, the, the co-host need like, we need a separate fourth show because Swiggy and Wiggy. And actually, <laughs> yeah. I've been called Swiggy a lot, yeah. but still, Swiggy and Wiggy could be a pretty <laughs> rad show. <laughs> Or just swigs and wigs. Yeah. That also works. Uh, yeah. I stole it I'm, from you. Uh, <laughs> I was a, already there. He was about to say it. I just totally stole it from him. Okay. <laughs> oh, swigs and wigs. That's pretty good. Although it kind of sounds like a podcast about drag shows, but I don't know. <laughs> We're inclusive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 2020. Yeah. Don't we assume. don't discriminate here. <laughs> All right. Alcoholic transvestites, at least. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, so um, also on board. Yeah, right. <laughs> so here we go. Signing out for Nokomoto Creative Writing, Wiggins Wednesday, and possibly Swigs and Wigs. Um, reminding everyone to stay safe, stay tuned, and keep fighting the dragon. Let's hit the music. And I don't want to die. Just want to ride on my motorcycle. Go.